This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. And welcome to episode 33 of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And uh, we're here once more to talk about the Edisto River and South Carolina rivers in general and various other things of interest to those of you living in the Blackwater region. Speaking of which, Tom, what is new? Well, Blackwater Festival's coming up. Uh, This was the first time last year when we first got involved in this uh, river stuff. Uh, We decided we wanted to have some kind of a festival that would bring attention to Aiken State Park and the South Fork of the Edisto in particular. And um, it turned out to be a great day, I thought. Um, What are your thoughts about how things went last year? I thought it went very well for a first time last year. It was reasonably well attended. We had enough people that we ran out of food. We're going to try to make sure that doesn't happen this year. Um, And uh, once more, our friends at Friends of the Edisto have added Blackwater to their roster of events each year. And so they have kind of taken it under their wing and they have been doing a lot of the heavy lifting of getting this thing organized and underway. But uh, I did learn that Danielle Howell is now going to be headlining the musical entertainment. And I think there's a full roster of music yet to be determined. But we'll have some information about that certainly in the next podcast as it takes shape. Danielle was over in Columbia playing at the Attic down in Five Points the other night. And I got to go down and talk to her. And she's very enthusiastic about uh, the Edisto River in particular. She has the Swamp Sessions thing going on, so she's tied into rivers and swamps. And um, she is going to be in Aiken State Park, and she is going to rock the house. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think they're talking to a few other bands. I don't know what we'll end up with exactly. But we definitely would like this. uh, It would be great if if eventually we have the the kind of – event that you know where there's a lot of music and uh, also one nice thing about Aiken State Park is the camping is available so we're encouraging people to come uh, Friday night so again this is June 20th uh, is, the, is the festival that Saturday June 20th is the festival so right. camping would be overnight coming in on Friday the 19th exactly and so um, encourage you to uh, call Aiken State Park reserve a campsite um, we may have a little uh Music on Friday night. Uh, I, th- I think if camp, there's a campfire, there's yeah, a good chance somebody kind of will be. I don't know, something yeah. like that. But, um, but definitely come up Friday night. And then also the river. I think a lot of people come out last time, didn't get a chance or didn't have enough time or whatever. But reserve a couple extra hours so that you can take a paddle down the canoe trail there at Aiken State Park. It's absolutely beautiful. You get a real flavor for what a Blackwater River feels like. Yeah, and speaking of canoe trips at the Aiken State Park, there are a couple of ways you can do that. If you have your own boat, just bring your boat, come on. They've got a really great uh, canoe put-in and take-out situation. There's not a huge amount of water in the river when we were there last week, but it may rain in the next couple of weeks, and either way, I think there's enough that you can have a nice paddle there. Uh, the way it works is you park down at the bottom end, and the state park will run your shuttle up to the top. You put in there, and you float down. It's probably a mile and a half. Give yourself 40 minutes, maybe an hour. Yep. And uh, depending on your skill level and desire for speed, it could be a little longer than an hour. could be a little less than an hour. Yeah, and I think, I, this isn't final, but I believe we'll be doing, uh, Ranger Mahoney and, and his uh, staff, they do shuttles uh, 10, noon, and 2 every day. I, I think that's right. And speaking of which, if you do not bring your own boat, which was the first option, second option for getting on the river is, The state park has a number of canoes and a few kayaks as well, 
and they will rent those to you for reasonable rates. I'm not exactly sure what those rates are, but um, if you do want a canoe or a kayak, especially for the uh, day of Blackwater, you need to go ahead and get in touch with the park and reserve yourself a boat. Otherwise, you might find yourself up the creek without a paddle or a boat. And uh, that phone number over there is 803-649-2857. And if you want to check the show notes uh, for this episode of the podcast, we'll make sure to have all the parks contact information there. But it is at Aiken State Park, and that's 1145 State Park Road in Windsor, South Carolina. So, what else is new, you ask? Well, let, let's, let's go back one minute. Uh, Blackwater, 10 to 4 yes. on the Saturday. Registration will be open at 9 o'clock with volunteers from Fred out there signing people in, making sure that you have uh, your wristband so that you can get some of that excellent barbecue from Eddie Green. Mm. We are going to have food, fun, barbecue, music, Sean Poppy and the SREL Outreach Animals, which are not, in fact, a band, but actual animals that Sean Poppy rides around with in a van, bringing them to events like ours. We have the canoeing and kayaking. We have nature walks. Uh, we don't know if we're having self-guided nature walks or actual formal nature walks but this will take shape uh if you want to go fishing you can last year we had a little fishing derby uh don't know if that's happening this year or not but we might we we will update tune in next episode to find out more well and check edisto concerns for sure and probably friends at edisto as well uh facebook pages uh websites and we'll try to have more details as they evolve Absolutely. And one more time, if you want to book a campsite or reserve a canoe or a kayak, you need to get on that phone and call Aiken State Park. Talk to Ranger Mahoney and his Cracker Jack staff. That number again, 803-649-2857. Man, I feel like I'm on the radio again. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> um, so, uh, what else is new, Tom? What else is new? Uh, so American Rivers, of course, has uh, designated the Edisto as uh, number five most endangered rivers in the United States. And part of their program is uh, that the month of May, they, you know, they've listed a, a number of other rivers, but the month of May is focused on the Edisto. And so um, there's a number of blog posts out there. We'll have the links on the show notes, but um, several people have written blog posts specifically about the Edisto and how important it is. And it's really good stuff. Uh, very nice, nicely done work. That's right. And I know that several of the people who have done these blogs are people who we've had on the podcast, like uh, Garrett Yobsis and Carol Bass. And uh, there are some others there, too. Bud Skidmore from down in Edisto wrote one I really liked about growing up around the Edisto. That's right. And Bill Gregory. All right. So moving on, what else do we have? We've got the South Carolina Rivers Forever organization with some new supporting organizations. This came out of a trip that uh, you and I made, Tom, down to uh saint St. helena, helena island, island too. absolutely uh we got to meet queen quet and uh but yeah the new the new uh three groups that have been added recently the Gullah Geechee sea island coalition the Gullah Geechee nation leaders and the Gullah Geechee sustainability think tank they they have uh joined south carolina rivers forever they are uh totally wholeheartedly behind what we're doing they they believe that the uh the current law that uh, allows huge mega farms to withdraw virtually unlimited amounts of water from the river is a big mistake and it needs to be fixed and so they are totally on board and want to be a part of what we're doing yeah they also have a big fisheries concern because a lot of their traditional employment is in the fisheries industry and of course fresh water from the interior makes a big difference to people who depend on those estuarine areas and the the sea there because 
That's where the little fish are born is there in those marsh areas. And if there's not enough water to make the salinity right for them, the fishery suffers. So, so the Gullah and Geechee folk are, are intimately concerned with this issue, and we sure are glad to have them with us. While we were down there talking to Queen Quet about these issues for South Carolina Rivers Forever, um, we were talking a little bit about the ongoing work we've been doing on the Edisto Expeditions movie project. And really happy to find that she was interested in what we were doing. And actually, she is going to be making an appearance at the 21st International Symposium on Society and Resource Management, which is coming up uh, in the middle of June the in Charleston. The ISSRM. The, the ever-popular 21st ISSRM. Yeah. Um, but Queen Quet has uh, been asked to do a 90-minute session then. And after we spoke to her a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from her inviting me to do um, a sort of pre-edit of some of the material from the Edisto River Project and present that at the IWSRM with her, um, talking about the Edisto and how issues of change are involved in decisions that are being made by resource managers and, you know, the effect that these things have on society. So they look at change through a number of different lenses, if you will, including things like environmental justice and the needs of stakeholders. And, and so it's, it's an interesting fit with what we've been working on and talking about. Yeah. And really thrilled to have been invited. And uh, if you happen to be planning to attend the 21st annual IWSRM, we hope to see you there. Very good. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting conference, and it's interesting. You know, you don't even know these things are going on, and then you find out there's one here in Charleston, and it's like right about the things that we uh, talk about. So, and and to be brutally honest, I mean, you know, hopefully, since it's in Charleston, there are going to be a lot of resource managers from around the region and the state who are going to be at this thing, and those are amongst others the people we want to reach with our message about you know what we think the rivers mean and how important it is to take care of them. Yeah. So hopefully they're going to put us in a room full of people who we really want to have, you know, see our stuff. Absolutely. So we're excited about that. Absolutely. Um, Queen Quet, we're going to get to hear her. Uh, she, she did a little promo for us. She, she did a little promo for Edisto TV. And yes, let's, uh, let's, let's go to tape, as they say. If Hunter to come down yeah, but going any slow, oh, this your place where Hunter won't know. Look, your honey chillin', you have to tune in to Edisto TV. And right there, honey can learn plenty about who we be, the Gullah Geechee. This year, the Queen Quet. Come join we. Peace and blessing, everybody. I think that a lot of people, as they take this journey along the coast, they come, like I said before, to be entertained, to kind of get a quick look into our world. But you never get that driving down Highway 17 or I-95. You get that by looking into the eyes and the souls of the people here that have grown up along these waterways that still use these waterways to truly nourish themselves, not only physically, but spiritually. And so I would ask that you come and journey with we and thing like that until we wash, until we see, and right there till we river and thing like that, and just breathe them in. And then take your time, grind to one of old hand pump, get a little bit for drink, and they say if you drink the water, Honey ain't going, never won't leave. But when you stay here, please stay like we do in this your open space and understand the beauty. Because like I say, the land that we family and the waterway that we bloodline for true. So that's Queen Quet. We sure are glad to have her with us in our uh, attempts to take care of South Carolina's rivers for future generations and looking forward to working more closely with her as time goes forward here. 
Uh, Tom, let's move forward now to our interview for episode 33. And uh, this is Jenny Hoffner, who is the Vice President of Conservation Strategies for the American Rivers Office over around Atlanta. And uh, that's basically water efficiency. And you, you're the one who tracked Jenny down. Tell us how yeah. that came to pass. Well, we were working with uh, Ellie uh, Baumstein uh, of uh, Coastal Conservation League. We've been talking to her. She was part of the South Carolina Rivers uh, group, and, and we've had numerous conversations with her. And um, so she ended up really telling us we need to talk to Jenny because they're doing a lot of work on water efficiency down there at Coastal Conservation League. And um, Jenny is an expert, and so we wanted to talk to her and hear more about water efficiency. All right, and she certainly knows her stuff. We, we had a good conversation, um, learned a lot about water efficiency. And rather than sit here and talk about what we learned from her, let's just learn it from her. There you go. All right, so here's Jenny Hoffner of the American Rivers. Um, my name is Jenny Hoffner, and I work for American Rivers. I am the Vice President of Conservation Strategies. American Rivers is a national nonprofit that works to uh, protect wild rivers, restore damaged rivers, and conserve clean water for people and nature. And, um, and I am based out of our Atlanta, Georgia office. Uh, well, American Rivers has a number of different programs um, that we um, work work in uh, sort of across the country, um, and we and our work ranges from everything from uh, river restoration dam removal to hydropower reform to blue trails, a lot of which we do in in um, in South Carolina. And then there's also this um, piece of our work which is about working with uh, municipalities on managing that water, the water that often comes out of rivers. Um, most um, sustainably, and uh, water efficiency is you know, one of our top recommendations for doing that. And um, I would say the way we define water efficiency um, may be different. Uh, I, it, well, one is important. It's important to define it because uh, a lot of people define it differently, and um, and it's. They're complementary, but water efficiency and water conservation are slightly different. So, water conservation is is a is um, we describe as sort of behavioral changes. Conservation is when you know people change their behaviors to use less water, and in water efficiency, we define as changing out the infrastructure in our our homes and in our businesses and in our communities so that that infrastructure is different, uh, whether that's you know. In you know installing a, a high efficiency toilet, or changing um, and, and fixing the pipes in the um, water utility distribution system, that those types of changes, the water efficiency changes when you're changing the infrastructure, that doesn't change when the water comes back. Um, meaning, you were you were you were saying before that um, you've heard stories of where if there's a drought, um, folks um, are more efficient or they conserve. And then the water comes back, and then suddenly they're using the same amount of water um, they were before. And that that is most often seen when folks are asked to conserve, when they're asked to, you know, use take shorter showers, um, that sort of thing. That that's the type of thing that changes uh, when the water comes back. But if they've installed a high efficiency toilet, or if they fix the leaks in their system, uh, or changed out their um, irrigation system to be more efficient, those things don't change when the water comes back, and those are savings you can count on going forward. And those are the types of things that we recommend uh, communities adopt, those types of policies um, that would require or incentivize those infrastructure changes. 
It's something that we're doing uh, a bit out in the Colorado River Basin, where, as you know, there's um, some water issues as well in terms of water quantity. And and really, the, most of, most folks are interested in water for what it can do. And uh, if you can get the same work out of less water, uh, folks are typically receptive to uh, to working with us. So um, when it comes to um, you know, landscape efficiency in urban areas or in ag efficiency, what we've found is that uh, we have sort of a common goal, which is to be able to get the work done um, using less water. And uh, there are a number of programs out there, federal programs, that will support um, ag retrofits, um, ag irrigation system retrofits through NRCS and others. Um, and I know that um, there's good work being done in the Colorado River Basin um, piloting that sort of work. I know that in the south, um, where I'm based here and in Georgia, uh, in the southern Flint, there's a lot of good work going on uh, to retrofit um, ag irrigation systems with higher efficiency um, technologies as well. So, um, again, you know, everyone wants to just basically get the work done um, and and also do it in such a way that sustains the resource. And, and that's sort of our common ground that we've been able to find. So, so in Georgia, um, what do they give them, tax breaks or something? I mean, they don't require – I mean, that's one of the other issues comes up is, you know, does the government force people to do this, or do they pay them to do it? What what are they doing in Georgia? Mm -hmm. Well, in Georgia, the 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 state um, had a. Uh, I was speaking about the Flint, the Lower Flint. They had a a a, a drought um, uh, plan for the the Lower Flint, but it never actually did work because it did involve the government paying farmers not to. Uh, grow their crops that year, and, and there were issues, just logistical issues with timing and declaring the drought and the timing of planting. So um, that really never uh, really was able to be implemented. Um, in terms of what um, can work, I think what we've seen work so far out um, in the Colorado is, is um, where there are um, incentives to engage um, farmers who are interested uh, and, and to, you know, really get them, provide them with enough incentive to take the first steps in retrofitting their infrastructure. Uh, and so that, you know, that, of course, is a first step, and, and there's more to be done after that. But um, that what we, that's so far what we've seen as being successful is providing, um, providing an incentive that uh, encourages the, the farmers to voluntarily um, retrofit their systems. Well, very good. So uh, you were going down your list of programs. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention that's um, specifically related to, you know, uh, water quantity kind of issues and other other things related to that? Well, I'll say that as part of our work with urban um, water providers and and. Uh, urban areas, what we've seen, um, again, here in Georgia is um, that even our, even in the southeast where we've got a lot of water, we're starting to see rivers starting to dry up. Um, and, and some of that's because of water withdrawals and some of that's because of development. And so some of the work that we do um, along those lines is also to uh, encourage um, uh, municipalities um, 
to uh, basically adopt policies that will help uh, protect or restore the natural hydrology of an area. Um, we do that uh, through implementing green infrastructure. Green infrastructure is really a, just a, a fancy term for um, restoring the natural hydrology, restoring um, the way in which um, water typically um, flows through, um, you know, basically flows onto the land and then infiltrates into the ground and then eventually makes its way back to the river as base flow. And we want to reconnect that hydrological cycle rather than have it, that water coming from the sky, hitting the, the pavement and then very quickly going into the river um, in a big rush, um, which of course causes a lot of problems for the river. Um, scouring and um, turbidity and water quality issues, um, which ultimately result in less water quantity because that water is no longer slowly going back to the river uh, uh, in, uh, as base flow, but it's all coming at the river at once, and then it's being sent downstream. And that water is no longer available um, to the system, to the communities, um, uh, uh, and the, the flows are diminished because of that. So we're, um, we advocate and, and work with uh, uh, communities like the city of Atlanta um, and others to uh, adopt policies and um, create incentives for uh, implementing green infrastructure policies. So, okay, so I guess what I want to talk about, what I, what I was thinking we would talk about the most was um, the, the idea of water efficiency. Um, mm -hmm. so I do, so we mentioned like ag, but, um, what are other things that mm -hmm. we can do as, as a community, you know, as individuals to, um, use less of, of the water? Cause most of us ultimately are getting the, the water from the river. Right. Yeah, that's true. Many of us. Uh, right. And, and so one, well, the top number one policy that we, um, we, uh, recommend is that uh, water utilities, communities across the board uh, stop the leaks. <laughs> uh, there is a significant amount of water that is lost to leaky pipes um, in water systems across the country. It's estimated that across the country about 6 billion gallons per day are lost through aging um, broken pipes um, in our systems. So that, that water right there um, is is water that um, is lost to the system, it's lost to the community, it's also lost to the water utility that, you know, piped, they pumped, they treated that water, and then nobody is paying them to produce that water. So it's a loss for them as well. Um, by, by fixing those leaks, by um, restoring those pipes, by fixing those pipes, they're able to then use less water, um, spend less money on treatment costs and, and the cost of electricity for pumping that water, it's a win-win. So it's a win for the water utility um, when they fix their leaky pipes, and it's a win for the river, and it's a win for the community. So um, that's the top number one uh, thing that water utilities, communities can be doing across the board to, to save water. Great. Any, any, uh, what's number two, number three? Okay, number two. Um, number two is pricing water right. Um, water is notoriously underpriced across our country. Uh, we don't we don't pay the the full value of our water. Um, when when I don't know about you, but my water bill um, has typically been you know 
a fraction of the cost of my cell phone bill. Um, and it's uh, water is essential to life, and yet we don't really pay um, for um, the importance of that water, and and that the in the fact that the water is cheap um, makes it really easy for people to waste it. Um, so uh, there's um, there's a lot that goes into developing a price um, sort of a rate structure for a water utility that will work for their customer base and their usage patterns, and that needs to be looked at very carefully. Um, but across the board, what we recommend is that communities find a way to you know, charge um, the full cost of producing that water, um, recognizing what it would cost to get additional new sources of water and incorporating that into that cost, and then, uh, and then creating an incentive for folks who are using a lot of discretionary water. So there's, you know, there's a need for folks to have water at an affordable price um, for the essential uses. Uh, and then all of those other discretionary uses um, can be charged at a higher price and, and for the premium that it is. And, and that creates an incentive to use less, to be more efficient, really, to retrofit your you know, lawn irrigation system, et cetera, so, or to get a pool cover uh, to reduce evaporation from your pool. So creating a price signal that would then make it important or make it suddenly cost-effective for folks to start putting in um, infrastructure in their homes and businesses that would um, be more efficient is, is where we want to go to with that. Do you have some idea, like, goal-wise, like, could we cut our water consumption in half, or is it more like a 10%, or is it fractional, you know, little bitty? What is the potential? Well, you know, um, it's, it's interesting you say that because you know, it, there's, there are a lot of different ways of, of cutting that. But I think what we know is that here in the U.S. we use um, a lot more water than uh, per person than in other countries. Here we um, typically use about 170 gallons per person per day, whereas in places like Australia, where they've recently had drought, they're using 36 gallons per person per day. Uh, so the amount that we could be, um, the, the ways in which we could use water in smarter and more efficient ways are really, um, uh, there are quite quite a number of them. And, and right now the potential almost seems nearly limitless. We can, um, in South Carolina, I'll say that um, we did take a look at Columbia's numbers um, several years back, and um, the gallons per capita per day usage was far and away higher than Raleigh, North Carolina, or Atlanta, uh, Georgia, um, or Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, the other cities that we looked at. Um, and uh, and so looking at where that water is going, um, who is using that water, um, is it being lost to leaks, is it being lost to um, inefficient uh, you know, infrastructure in people's homes, old toilets, if we've got an older community, you probably have a lot of potential for retrofitting those older homes with newer plumbing fixtures. And if you have a lot of potential for that, there's a lot of um, justification for the water utility to create incentives for their customers to replace those old um, plumbing fixtures with newer ones. It's really 
um, in the best interest of the water utility because then they don't have to go out and find new water. They can find that new water in the homes of their, their customers by helping their customers retrofit and use less. So there's still a significant amount of savings um, to be had out there, and we're really only scratching the surface. We're in the southeast. We're really only starting to um, come to grips with water as a limited resource. We've always sort of taken it as a given that we have an abundance of water, and we do, um, but we have to use it wisely, especially because we're an area that is growing, and we're going to see more population here, um, and we're going to need to be smart about how we're using that resource as we spread it across more and more people. We sure appreciate Jenny Hoffner of uh, American Rivers and their Vice President of Conservation Strategies taking the time to talk to us on the Edisto TV podcast. Tom, any parting thoughts before we move along? Well, just that it, it's a constant reminder that this is a really big issue, that one potato farm is not going to take all the water from anywhere, but it's just one symptom of a, of a big problem that we all have, which is we only have so much water and we need it and everybody wants it. <laughs> and uh, so water efficiency is something that we can all do and, uh, and, and uh, you know, save, save the water that's flowing down that river, keep more water flowing. All right. And I have to say, if there was anything that I got from that conversation that I hadn't really thought about in detail before that really sort of opened my eyes and informed the rest of the conversation was early on in, in, in our chat, she made the point that there's a key difference between water efficiency and water conservation. Yeah. And, and that by concentrating on water efficiency, they're actually more concentrating on making infrastructure changes right. so, so that you don't have to think about saving water. You're just saving water by the way things are and, and, and taking thoughtful action to make things work in ways that make water use more efficient. And I have to admit, when we started talking to her, I was expecting to talk about, you know, putting a brick in the toilet tank exactly. or something. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I, this, is, this is long-term, you know, long-term planning. So I think it's great. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate Jenny taking the time, and we look forward to uh, following the efforts of American Rivers and uh, all those folks on these things. Okay, um, and for a special bonus for the people who stayed to the last minute of the, video, <laughs> of the uh, podcast. Right. So what are we planning to do this week? Well, I, you know, last week we talked, or, or in the last episode, in episode 32 of the podcast, we talked a fair bit about, you know, where we go now uh, after the subcommittee hearing and, and the House bill sort of coming to rest, right. if not actually outright getting killed. And we, we were talking about going forward, we're, we're going to continue to try to spread the word. And one of the ways that we're going to be doing that is Lieutenant Governor Henry McMasters has agreed to have a meeting with us. That's this week. Uh, we're recording this on Memorial Day. Um, so we're going to be taking our concerns about South Carolina's rivers and the Edisto in particular to the Lieutenant Governor's office. Doug Busby has been working tirelessly to reach people at all levels of government. And this meeting's an example of how much Doug's doing to reach people with our message. Looking forward to going up there, hoping to have a serious and substantive conversation with the Lieutenant Governor. Well, the, the interesting thing about this, how it came to be, though, was because of Farm Bureau's videos that they made about... It was about six years ago, I think. Yeah, well, it was back when the current Surface Water Withdrawal Act was being promulgated. Right, and they were all for, they were concerned that North Carolina was going to take all our water. And so they're basically in their in their uh, YouTube videos, which we found that had about four or five views on them six years later, they, they, they were basically saying the same thing we are. Like, 
hey, it's really important that everybody, you know, there's plenty of water downstream and all those kind of things. And Henry McMaster was one of the really well uh, spoken, you know, advocates of protecting our rivers. And um, so we want to hear where he stands now. That's episode 33 of the Edisto TV podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. And we will see y'all with a brand new episode in two weeks. That'll be on or about June 5th. Ish. Ish. Thanks again for listening. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region.